I hate big buildups. Because that means there's nowhere to go but down. All right, so whoever this is, it's there. Uh, I told people my opening joke this week was to point out that last week uh, Keith Richardson was here. Um, and that seems to be my theme in Clarion is to always follow the pulpit behind Keith Richardson. If you don't get that, he was the pastor at First Baptist before I got there. So, um, Got a lot of cover today, and I, I just kind of want to start off with, uh, well, let's start off with this first. Let's pray. Dear Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for the opportunity uh, to be with my brothers and sisters here at Zion. I thank you, God, for the relationship I have with their lead pastor, with Trent, um, the friendship, the camaraderie, the brotherhood that he and I share, and the fact that you have brought kindred spirits who realize it's more about your kingdom than it is about our little castles, Father, and that we, we agree and have a vision for Clarion beyond uh, just our individual campuses, but to see that, the, that our Lord and our Savior, our King, and his kingdom is advanced in this area, and I thank you for that, God. You are doing a great work among us in the League of Pastors, and we are grateful for that. Father, I just want to just affirm and admit before you and these people right now that anything that happens good from this point on, that's because of you. Anything that happens and any missteps and misspoken words and anything wrong, that's me. And so, Father, I give you praise and I give you glory. I invite and beg and plead that your spirit, the spirit that we'll be talking about today, will be here to guide us into truth, that he will help us hear, give us ears to hear you, and give us courage to apply what we hear from you to our lives. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. To be quite honest with you, today it's really difficult to do what Trent's asked us all to do is to come into this situation, one and done, and, and continue a sermon series that other people have been preaching on that really is pretty difficult. And, and some of the challenges that I face is, one, was the difficulty of not knowing what everybody else has said. And I think I'm number seven in, in a sermon series, right? So there's been six other guys that have preached before me. Well, I took care of that because I listened to all six. And so I, I do know what they said. Um, or at least mostly what most of them said. I also run the risk of being seventh in the series. I just basically run the risk of being boring. Like, okay, fruit of the Spirit. We got it. Then we move on. You know, we're, you're, got, you're having seven, eight, nine different pastors preach on one verse in the entire Bible. Uh, or at least concentrate on that verse. So that's kind of a challenge. One of the other challenges I face is that some of us, you know, are going to say some seemingly contradictory things. Uh, one's going to present the, the fruit of the Spirit as, you know, I think uh, um, Keith said last week, it's like all these trees in your garden, you know, and then, and then Tom pointed out, well, there's one tree, and, and, and I'm going to build upon that kind of thing. So there's going to sound some things like, we like, well, he said it this way, and he said it that way, and he said it this other way. And so that can be kind of difficult. The truth of the matter is, it's hard to preach a sermon off one word. My word today is faithfulness. That's all I got to talk about is faithfulness. One, one word. And one of the things that drives me crazy in the church world today, oh wow, y'all don't have a clock. Oh, you do have a clock back there. I can almost see it too. Well, never mind. 
One of the things that drives me crazy in the world today that I think does us a disservice is there's a lot of preachers who will take one word and they'll build sermon series out of one word, right? And they dig down into this one word and I see people in, in the pews go, I can't do that. I can't just preach, you know, for an hour on one word and all that that word means in the Greek and the Hebrew and the Aramaic and, and, and all these things. And they, they break that down and, and, and they just wow us with their deep knowledge of one word. And, and the average person sitting in the pew goes, I can't do that. So there's no need for me to read the Bible. I can't do what they did. And I, and I think the Bible's a whole lot plainer and a whole lot more simple than just these deep golden nuggets we find. And they're there, but I think it's just more of on a surface level. So that kind of is a challenge too. Uh, and finally, the, the biggest challenge I think I fa- fa- face today is comparisons, right? You guys have now had seven different pastors among you. And one of your temptations is going to be go, well, you know, I really like him better than him. And I like his delivery better than that delivery. And that guy was funnier. And that guy was kind of dry. And you get caught up in all these comparisons of how we do this, you know. And it's almost like we're having an onstage dance-off, you know. <laughs> By the way, if it was a dance-off, in my opinion, Jacob is in the lead. <laughs> did a great job. And, and, and ju- I'll just be up front, Jacob. I'm not offering any challenge to you today. Uh, you, did, you did a wonderful job. Not to say the other guys didn't do a good job, but in my opinion, you're, head, you're lead of the dance-off so far. So there's one major takeaway I want to start off with first uh, that you can get from this sermon series. And, here, and here's what it is. God is so big And the Bible is so rich that humans struggle to handle it. And what I mean by that is you've had now seven different preachers preaching on one verse out of the Bible. We've come at it from every different way. We've tried to handle it so many different ways. You've gotten so much out of this one verse. We are all kind of doing our best to bring something out of this. And we all got a little piece of it, right? But the Bible itself, God is so big, and and the Bible is so rich that you can have an army of pastors up here, one right after the other, right after the other, right after the other, and we would never plumb the depths of who God is and what the Bible has to say. And so if there's just one takeaway you get from this series of listening to all these different preachers go, wow, God is big. He's amazing. These, these nine, you know, professional, educated leaders in churches, it took nine of them just to scratch the surface of what one verse meant in all the scriptures. And so I'd like to challenge you to at least appreciate that. Also, I'd give you a warning. Uh, because the Bible's so big, or God's so big and the Bible's so rich, be afraid of people who tell you they got it all figured out. <laughs> Those who who like, I got God, and I got the Bible completely figured out, watch out for them, because it is just huge, and and it's amazing, and it's wonderful to serve that God. So let me ask you a question. How many of you have already turned to Galatians chapter 5, verse 22? (laughs) Turn to John 15, if you would. Because I figure by now, Galatians 5, you should be getting close to having it memorized by now, right? You, you've heard it enough. You should be pretty close to being able to say it, right? But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, 
peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with the passions and desires. Well, what I really want to do today and what I'm hoping to do today is, is make some connections. I actually want to connect Galatians 5, 22 through 24, that your passages that you've been studying, I want to connect it with John 15, 1 through 8, um, because that's another fruit passage. Uh, fruit of the Spirit, the, the idea of bearing fruit is, is a common goal throughout the Bible, especially through the New Testament. This is, a, this is an illustration that's used pretty frequently. And so, since you've heard so much about all these other things, I'm going to try to make a different connection today. So, let, I want to invite you to read that with me, John 15, 1 through 8. Um, I think it'll be on the screen too. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, and he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. So here's kind of my plan for today, what I, I hope to accomplish in, in the time we have together. I kind of want to zoom out a little bit. You know, everybody so far, they've been taking their word. They've been like concentrating and, and digging into that word. And, and I'm going to handle my word um, because Trent would be mad at me if I didn't. Um, but I also want to kind of zoom out because now you're starting to get, we're getting to like the seven descriptions of the fruit of the Spirit. So you're starting to get a, a bigger picture and try to put some of that together from a little bit broader perspective. I want to make this connection with the broader concept of fruit as it's laid out in the scriptures, especially with John chapter 15. And be quite honest, I'm going to reiterate some of the things you've already heard. Now, you know, uh, when we come to teaching, uh, my teachers never told me one thing one time. There's a, a repetition is sometimes needed for us to kind of grasp what we're being taught. And so there's nothing wrong with some, some repetition here. So I'm going to repeat some things you've heard and maybe kind of extrapolate them a little bit further today. But first, my task at hand, to deal with the word faithfulness, right? To, to understand what that word faithfulness is. Gentleness, uh, or, I'm sorry, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. A couple of Bible dictionary definitions for that word found. It's pistis. And I know these other guys have been telling you their Greek word, so I need to hang in there and look it up and listen to how to pronounce it and all that kind of stuff, so I can at least say the Greek word. Here's the definition. It has two definitions. First definition, primary definition, conviction of the truth of anything. Belief. 
in the New Testament of a conviction or a belief representing man's relationship to God and divine things. Generally uh, with the included idea to trust and a holy fervor born of faith and joined with it. Simple definition, simple number one definition, to have faith, right? The second definition is fidelity, faithfulness, or this idea of, of character of one who can be relied upon, right? So, if we say somebody's faithful, we're saying that's somebody you can count on. They're, 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 they're somebody you can trust. They're going to be there, right? And that's faithfulness. Now, here's an interesting idea when I looked at this word. This word is used 21 times. Uh, the Greek word is used 21 times in, in the book of, um, of Galatians. Every other time that word is translated in the book of Galatians, it's simply translated faith. Only in this verse, and only, and it's used like throughout the entire New Testament, the word's used 234 different times. And only four of those is it ever translated faithfulness. The mass majority of the times this word is used, it's simply faith. To have faith. And so, the fruit of the Spirit is to have faith. So, here's the point I'm trying to make, because we have a definition for the word, we have a biblical definition of the word faith. It is, uh, faith is the assurance, Hebrews 11.1, 1, faith is the assurance of things uh, hoped for, the uh, conviction of things not seen, right? To really, we would maybe even say sometimes in English, to believe, right? And so, that, that really one of the things that the, the Bible calls us to do or the Spirit does in our lives, it gives us faith. That, that this unbelievable, untrusted, uh, this trusting in God and who He is. And so, but the point I want to make for you is this. There is an indivisible relationship between faith and faithfulness. Said a different way, you can't be faithful without faith. And so, so when we look at this word here, it's really representative of our overall faith. Um, our faithfulness is representative of our faith. How committed you are. How much you can be counted upon, how faithful you are to stick it out is representative of your faith. If you don't have faith, you won't stick it out. You won't be able to be counted upon. And so, if you want to consider, well, how strong is my faith and what is my faith in, consider what you're faithful to. Right? And this plays itself out in a, in a lot of ways. A lot of people put a lot of security, they put a lot of their faith, a lot of what they count on in uh, a lot of things. A lot of people are faithful to their job, right? Because we're supposed to be. But there's an underlying faith that if I do a good job, I'll get paid and I'll make my life and I'll take care of my life and everything will be okay. So, one way to determine where your faith is is to look and evaluate what you're faithful to. Because there's this indivisible relationship between faith and faithfulness. You will never be faithful to something you do not have faith in. And so, we could rewrite the verse like this. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness, self-control, against such things there is no law. 
And so this is the idea of what the word faithfulness is. Just to understand, this is representative of where and what you put faith in. Those things that you are faithful to. But there's some other verses in this word, and as we kind of back out and, and kind of get a different or a fuller perspective on this whole passage that I want us to consider, the, the other word is, uh, is the fruit of the Spirit, right? That's the line there. And so what I want you to understand, this is a topic, fruit of the Spirit, F-O-S, is descriptive of God. All of these fruit or all of these descriptions, they're descriptive of God, they, they tell us what God is like. Jacob highlighted this last week. He said this. He said, the fruit of the Spirit are characteristics we should have as Christians because they are characteristics of God Himself. And so, all of these descriptives are descriptions of God. Because it's what Spirit? It's, it's the fruit of what? The Spirit. Well, what Spirit are we talking about? Because the Bible tells us there's all kinds of spirits in the world. Well, when we talk about it in the Bible, we see the Spirit. We know it's talking about the, the third person of the Trinity, right? We're Trinitarian. The, the, the Christian distinctive is believing in the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost or Holy Spirit. And when we talk, we see this passage talking about the work of the third person of the Trinity, the Spirit, who is God. And so we could rewrite the verse like this. But, the ver uh, but God is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Back to our connection with, uh, with John 15, it says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. The fruit that you and I bear has a particular source. And that source is God Himself. He's the true vine. And, and I don't know how many of you have ever grown grapes. This is the illustration that the Bible is using. It's using a grape vine. And there's the, the vine, the, the part that comes up out of the ground, the real true plant. And then there's all the little branches that grow off of the true vine, the main vine. That's where the fruit is bore out on those branches. But it's the, the, the trunk, the, the main vine that is important. That's the part that brings the source of everything that's bore out there. And you and I, our, these descriptions found in the fruit of the Spirit are descriptive of who God is. And so, the reason I want to point that out is because quite often, and too often when we read the Scriptures, we quickly run to find ourselves in those Scriptures. What does this say about me? What am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to react to that? What, what promise is made to me? What, what uh, encouragement is given to me in the Scripture? And it's called the process of isogesis. That's a, a, a lot of churches do that this day, where, where it's all about you. And, and we read these Scriptures and we say, you're supposed to be loving and you're supposed to be faithful and you're supposed to be good and, and this is who you are. But you need to understand first and primarily, this verse isn't about us. First and primary, it is about God, our Creator. It describes Him first. And that needs to be the beginning point of everything we do. Let's start with who God is. Because better than you knowing yourself, better than you approving yourself, better than you caring for yourself is for you to know God and to care about God. 
know who he is and what he's like. And understand that. Your time is better spent studying God than studying yourself. And first of all, this is the description of who God is. God is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. How many of you not want to have a relationship with somebody like that? This is why we're drawn to him, because of who he actually is. And we can too quickly make it about what I'm supposed to do and how I'm supposed to be and start to feel bad because I'm not all I'm supposed to do or all I'm supposed to be and lose sight of who the Bible's teaching us God actually is. So God is faith. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2 says, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, right? That the second person of the Trinity is the founder and protector of our faith, that faith comes through him. At creation, just think about that creation, how, how God is faith is displayed in creation. Can you imagine God sitting there and going, all right, I hope this works. Let there be light. Oh, wow, I did it. I mean, I think creation is an act of God's faith. He is faith. He spoke it and it happened. He, he didn't waver. And so when he looks at us and says, if you got the faith of a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, go throw itself in the sea and it'll be done. He knows what he's talking about because he made the mountain by just saying it. You know, he has that power. There's a lot of people who will teach you today that you have the same power to create things just by your spoken word. I don't know sure about that. Only God creates out of nothing. But it's a dis description or it's a, a display of his unyielding knowledge of faith. Let it be. And it was. Dis uh, faith on display for us. And so since God is faith and God has faith or is faith, and faith is indivisibly connected to being faithful, then we can say God is faithful. And the, and the scriptures back this up. 2 Timothy 2, 3. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Psalm 36, 5. Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. 1 Thessalonians 5, 24. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. You and I are connected to a main vine uh, 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 whose essence is faith and faithfulness. I'll just be honest with you. God's faithfulness is ironic, maybe. If you know anything about God, there is no irony with God. We call it ironic. That one of the things I'm struggling with right now in my personal life more than any is God's faithfulness. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I read a, uh, I read a morning devotion. It's a little, you know, one of those little, like you can read it in five minutes devotionals. I kind of uh, do that every day or most every day. Sometimes I'm not as faithful to my devotions as I need to be in the morning. Y'all don't throw stones. And I read one about faithfulness. I have read it five times in the last 10 days. 
because it just hits me. And there's been some things going on in my life, uh, some things I've been praying for for over two years, right? And, and there was some movement in that area this, in the last couple of weeks. And, and, and I found myself praying really small prayers, you know, Instead of asking God to do what I really wanted him to do, I asked him, well, just, just take a step in this person's life. You know, not, like, not really bring them to salvation. Just help them take a, a small step. And what I realized was I was doubting God's faithfulness. I wasn't, being, I wasn't trusting that God would do what he said he would do and that he would answer the prayers I had. And so I kept kind of uh, fudging on my prayers a little bit, asking for a whole lot less than what I really wanted. And what I realized is I'm struggling that God's going to do what he said he would do. That, that I can ask these things with confidence. That I can come before the throne of grace with conviction. That, that these things that he promised that, that he would do, that I can trust him to do those things. And not kind of cheat on it a little bit. And so I've been really struggling with this question. Will we be faithful to his faithfulness? Will we have faith in God's faithfulness? Will we trust it like there's no other? And what he's been proving to me, he's faithful. He's blown me away. He's done what I didn't expect. He's done more than I expected. Here I was expecting little and he did great. And what he's sowing is like, Jason, you silly little boy. Your faith is weak in my faithfulness. I told you, this is who I am. I, have, I am faith. I am faithful. You can trust that. Put your faithful, put your faith in my faithfulness. Our faithfulness is tested. It's demonstrated when, when we do things that are small or insignificant or mundane seemingly, right? That, that you may have a role here in the body that you go, it doesn't really matter if I do this or not. Nobody is going to notice whether I do this or not. Well, the Bible says the weakest and those that are not known and those that are, that are the least thought of, those are the ones that God raises up. And if you think your job, whatever that might be, is, is insignificant, is unimportant and unnoticed, then you're not being faithful to God's faithfulness. Because he said, I'm going to lift up those who, if you want to be the greatest, be the least. And so too many times we're chasing to be the greatest by being the greatest. Instead of saying, well, I'm just going to be faithful to this little thing. I'm going to change diapers in the nursery. You know, and the only person that it even matters to is this little kid that I'm changing diapers on and they can't even say thank you. But God's faithful to take care of that. God's faithful to notice that. And do you have faith in his faithfulness? We're also, our faithfulness is also uh, tested when things are difficult, when things don't go the way we want them to. And we often question, well, is God going to work in this situation? And our faithfulness, our faith in His faithfulness is tested in these moments. And so I just want to assure you that God ultimately, because this is a description of who He is, and He is faith, and He is faithful. Our task is to be faith, put our faith in that faithfulness. Another idea about the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is the product of a relationship with God. Right? We call it fruit. That's the word in there, fruit. Fruit, in, if you go, if you're looking for fruit in the grocery store, if Clarion had a grocery store, besides Walmart, right? Where would you go to look for fruit? You would go to what aisle? 
produce aisle. Very good. Because it's a product. It's not manufactured. It's, it's, the, it's a product of a natural uh, occurrence. Uh, it's produced. And um, so that's what fruit is. So fruit is a product of our relationship with God. Now I'm going to give you a truth. And then you can write this one down. If, I, if there's any absolute thing I say today, I think this is absolutely 100% true. Relationships change us. That's the truth. Relationships change us. When I met my wife, Shelly, she was a FSU fan. For those of you who aren't from the South, that's Florida State University. Boo. I'm a graduate of Clemson University. All right? Yay. We got some of those in the house. Amen. My wife now owns more orange shirts and Clemson gear than anybody you know. We entire, my entire family, we have enough orange clothes that she does an orange batch. Like most people do colored, we do the orange batch. And then all the other colors. Because we got that much stuff. Now my wife wasn't like that. When I met my wife, she was a practicing vegetarian. Not only is my last name Hunter, I am a hunter. And she's really kind of a little concerned right now because our freezer's down to like four packs of deer burger left. And she's like, September's got to get here quick. We got to fill up the freezer. All right. So relationships change us. Think about poor Trent's family. They got all that Detroit line stuff. <laughs> sometimes for the good, sometimes not. Why do parents worry about who their kids hang around? Because they know this one truth. Relationships change us. And so when we enter into a relationship with God, it should change us. Right? And that's John 15, 5. That's what it says. I am the vine. So we've talked about who God is, his descriptions, this perfect vine, the true vine, the, the real trunk of, the vine, of, of what's going on. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is, it, it is that person who bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. It's clarifying to us that our relationship with God should change us. And change us very specifically to bearing fruit of the Spirit. He is the vine and we are the branches. And so I can tell you this, faithfulness is the product of being in a relationship with God. As we discover He's faithful to us, it should inspire and change us to be faithful to Him. And as we go through life discovering how faithful God is, our faith in that faithfulness should grow and grow and grow. In a couple of years, I think my faith in His faithfulness will grow even more than it was last week. And so faithfulness is a product of being in a relationship with God. The rest of the fruit of the Spirit is too, by the way. They're all products of being in this relationship. But there's a but also in this, in this phrase, all right? So our, our faithfulness is a product of being in a relationship. But it's a relationship. What's the number one component to a good relationship? Communication, open-mindedness, trust, quality time. Well, I would offer to you 
Faithfulness may be the number one component to a good relationship. Because if somebody cheats on you, that pretty much ends the relationship, right? And so faithfulness is crucial to a good relationship. And so one of the things we can do, the but also to this, is that faithfulness is a quality determinative of our relationship with God. Now that sounds like something a professor would say. The quality of our relationship with God is somewhat determined by our faithfulness to God. If you want to have a good relationship with God, you got to stay true to Him. If you don't stay true, if you're a cheater, it hurts your relationship. This is a big deal throughout the Old Testament. The Israelites struggled quite a bit with being faithful to God. They cheated on Him pretty often. So much so that God sent one of his prophets, a guy named Hosea, to marry an unfaithful wife just to demonstrate to everybody how faithful he was and how faithless they were. And he remained faithful in all their cheating. This is the problem that they had throughout the Old Testament is that they would, they would chase other idols. And God called this, they, they, they were being unfaithful to him. And the truth of the matter is that idols, now when we think about idols in the Old Testament, you know, we got the Baals and the golden calves and these, these Asherods, these big trees and, and totem poles and all this stuff they worship, right? And we don't see much of that today. You know, I, I haven't seen a golden calf in my life, to be quite honest with you. So they were more conspicuous in those days, but just because they were more conspicuous in the days of the Israelites does not mean they're less prevalent today. We've just got different idols today. And so instead of bowing down to golden calves, people bow down to status symbols of cars and possessions, or their jobs, or their security in their 501k, 401k plan. You see, I don't even have one, so I don't even know what I'm talking about, 501. And we have all these other idols that we are unfaithful to God with. And you know how we can determine if we're unfaithful <laughs> to God by these other idols? By how much time we spent and how much energy we put into being faithful to those other things. We were asking, we were asking uh, the 9 o'clock people today what, what really fills a pastor's heart. And one of them said, you know, faithfulness to be here. You know, just, just to make this time a priority. And as you know, and I know, well, you can all pat yourself on the back because you were here today. You made this a priority. But you know, there's a whole lot of other people who had other priorities today. And we make all kinds of reasons why and why we shouldn't. But let's just be honest. We have to at least question, how big a priority is this to me? Am I faithful to my church? Am I faithful to the ministry that's going on that I'm involved in? Or is it just something that's a part of my life? Because it reveals your faith, ultimately. A couple other quick points I want to make is that the fruit of the Spirit is singular. It says the fruit of the Spirit. Now this has been one of the, this is going to sound like one of those contradictory statements that we make because lots of people call it the fruits of the Spirit or we'll talk about it like they're fruits, right? Uh, T.L. Schweitzer, the great theologian uh, of his day and of his own mind, um, <laughs> pointed this out in his preaching that this is, there, there is only one fruit. 
Um, and, I, and this is where it's important to be uh, repetitious, I think, because it is the fruit, one fruit. It's singular. And so, but it's one fruit with a whole bunch of descriptions. When I first came to Clarion, we were doing an in-home Bible study series and small groups across, and it was on the fruit of the Spirit. And there was an illustration that we built off of that changed my perspective on this entire, I mean, that was 12 years ago. It's changed my perspective on this verse since that point, and I'll never forget it. And so, I got a picture of a watermelon. So, when we describe a watermelon, it's green with dark green stripes. It's red, juicy. It's usually larger than a basketball. It grows on a vine. And usually, unless you buy some hybrid version of a, uh, of a watermelon, it has black seeds on the inside of it. Right? One fruit, multiple descriptions. All of these are descriptives of the one fruit. Dark, round, juicy, red, uh, bigger than a basketball, grows on a vine. I can do it some other ways. Tell me what this is. It's red. It's about the size of a golf ball. It's shaped kind of like a heart. It has either little tiny kind of brown or dark brown dots, really small right along its edge. Uh, it often has a green little cap right on top. Well, strawberry, right? And here's another one. Uh, about the size of a marble. It, it grows on a bush. Uh, it's round. Uh, it has what looks like a little crown busting off the top. Uh, it's soft and mushy often, and, and they're blue. Blueberry. See, you can tell what the fruit is by the descriptors. That's what's going on. There's one fruit. It's the fruit of redemption, the fruit of regeneration, the fruit of salvation that the Spirit brings in our lives. And what happens is it changes who we are. It changes the descriptives of who we are. And so there is one fruit. And all of these characteristics that we've been talking about and you're talking about, they're descriptives of the one fruit. So what if in your life one of those isn't prevalent? What if you say, love, joy, peace, you know, I got patience, that's usually everybody's go-to, no, I'm not so good on patience, or, or, or I'm not so good on gentleness, I, I can, can be kind of rough, or maybe I'm not really good at self-control, or, or whatever. Well, why is that missing? Well, if one of those is not prevalent in your life, understand this, and this is why I want to make this point. If one is not prevalent, it's a maturity issue. It's not an absence issue. Because see, like when that strawberry starts to grow, it's small, right? And it's green for a long time. But as it matures, as it gets ripe, it takes on all of those characteristics. Watermelon the same. When you cut in a watermelon first off, it's not red on the inside until it gets mature. It doesn't get the size of a basketball until it gets mature. And so if there's a descriptive in your life that's not matching up to the fruit of the Spirit, it's not a, it's absent, it's just a maturity issue. That I need to mature in that area. I need to get more ripe. John 15, 2 says, Every branch of me that does not bear fruit will be taken away. Every branch that does bear fruit, uh, he prunes so that it will bear more fruit. And so if there's something missing in your life, one of these descriptives, then I invite you or I tell you or encourage you, invite the vine dresser. <laughs> Say, hey, look. I need, some, I need some pruning. <laughs> I need some fertilizing. I, I, I'm not mature as I should be. I'm not, I'm not ready to pick yet. I'm not ripe. You know, I, I got to develop this characteristic more. 
And I think the Spirit will do that if you're really willing to have that done in your life. The final passage, and I'm going to ask the worship team to get ready to come, and the care team's here in just a minute. The final thing I want you to understand about the fruit of the Spirit, all of them in whole, is that the fruit of the Spirit equal descriptions of a disciple. The fruit of the Spirit equals the description of a disciple. I've got two questions for you to consider. First, I want to read John 15, verse 8. It says this, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. If you're a disciple of Jesus, these are descriptive, first of all, of God. But because you're a branch connected to the true vine, it's also descriptives of you. And so the two final questions I would ask you, how many of you would identify yourself as a Jesus disciple? You don't have to answer that. If you want to, you can. How many of you would self-identify as a Jesus disciple or a disciple of Jesus? But the more important question for you to consider today, how many of you would others identify as a disciple of Jesus. You want to know what they're going to be looking for? How they're going to make a determine whether you're a strawberry, a blueberry, or a watermelon? They're going to look at your characteristics. They're going to look at the characteristics of a disciple. And so that verse could be written like this. A disciple is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This is how they're going to identify us if we have the characteristics of a disciple. Because we're connected to the vine, we bear the fruit that the vine wants us to bear, which is the characteristics of God Himself. And so it always starts with God and trickles down to us. And if there's one missing in our life, it's a maturity issue more than it is anything. So faith is an individually connected to faithfulness. Without faith, there is no faithfulness. So you can determine where your faith is by what you're faithful to. How much uh, are we counting on God's faithfulness? Do we, are we putting our faith in God's faithfulness? Do we understand that the quality of our relationship with God is determined by our fidelity to God and, and that we're connected to Him? And if there's an undeveloped characteristic I ha- that you've discovered then it's just an area that you've identified that you need to mature in. Ultimately, at the end of the day, if the world was asked, would there be enough evidence to convict you of being a disciple?